But I'm excited again to be here today and to continue on in this series that we have been walking through, Songs of Christmas, where we've looked at some of our favorite Christmas carols, songs like Joy to the World, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And today we're going to look at one of my personal favorites. You just heard it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as I've been preparing this week and looking at the lyrics of this amazing carol and looking at the scriptures that it's tied to, uh, I am excited to see what the Lord has for us today and how God's going to use this song uh, and these lyrics and the scriptures that we're going to look at today to bring some hope and some peace to your life today. And so if you got a Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and open it up or turn it on, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 today, and praying as we walk through this that God would open our eyes and our hearts, maybe if you're here today watching online at Apollo or wherever, uh, for the first time or in a fresh way today as we see the hope that is possible to have in Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to get there in just a few moments. I just want you to have that ready to roll. Uh, A little background on this carol. I know we've been kind of talking about the history of these carols. Uh, This one right here, the roots go all the way back to 1710 when the song was written in Latin. We're not going to sing it in Latin today, so don't worry. Uh, Then it was translated into English in 1851. And then the tune, it was put to a tune that actually goes all the way back to the 1400s. So when you hear Kelly Clarkson's version on the radio, just know that she didn't come up with this one, all right? And I think it's pretty amazing to think that we as followers of Jesus, that we are joining with the saints that have gone before us, centuries before us, and singing this carol. We're joining in the chorus with them. So let's, let's look at the lyrics, and then we're going to look at the biblical foundation uh, behind them. So the lyrics go like this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. And when we get to this refrain right here, this chorus, why don't you join me in saying the, the refrain, the rejoice, the rejoice part, okay? A little crowd participation. Apollo, you too, all right? So here we go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Next verse, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depth of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Everybody, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now there's an exclamation point beside that rejoice. So when we get to it next, say it like you mean it, okay? All right. Here we go. O come, you too, Apollo. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer. Our spirits thine uh, by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel 
shall come to thee, O Israel. Last one right here. O come, desire of nations, bind all people in one heart and mind. Then envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world, come on man, with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Come on, are those not some like dense lyrics right there? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, this is no hark the herald angels sing or joy to the world. I mean, this is like, do you see the longing and the waiting and the hoping that comes from this carol? So before we dive into some of the details, I want to make sure that we just see the big picture real quick. Obviously, this song was written from the standpoint of people who are waiting specifically the people of Israel. And so God's people in the Old Testament, they're waiting and longing for somebody to come. They're waiting for somebody to show up. And you hear that in the language, don't you? You, you, you hear the longing, the aching, the yearning, the hoping. And this was the story of Israel in the Old Testament. All throughout the, the history of the Old Testament, the Israelites are waiting and they're captive and they're longing for somebody to free them. They're mourning and waiting for someone to come and wipe away their tears. They are in gloom and darkness, and they want joy and light. They, they want to have peace in a world of strife and quarrels, and they're holding out hope that when this person comes, when this person finally shows up, he's going to bring them all these things. And so when you get to the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, be glad, you're kind of like, well, how is that possible? Because here I am, I'm in the middle of strife and quarrels and captivity and mourning and gloom and darkness. How in the world are you telling me to rejoice and to have joy in the midst of all that? And, and, and that's a significant question, is it not? Because you and I today, we live in a world just like that. We live in a world of strife. We live in a world of darkness and gloom and mourning. Oh my goodness, just turn on your TV, right? I mean, that's all we see in another school shooting or tornadoes in Kentucky. You look around and you see uh, tensions and conflicts in this world, in our families. How can you rejoice in the middle of all of that? And this song is saying that, listen, you can sing and be glad and you can rejoice. Why? Because somebody is coming to change all of that. That's the good news that I want to share with you today, that, that whatever it is that you're going through in your life, in the family, the good news is that somebody has come to start to change all of that to make his blessings flow where the curse is found. And one day, brothers and sisters, he's coming back to finish what he has started. Woo! And his name is Emmanuel. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to write down the big idea that I got for you this morning. Apollo, get your notes ready. That we have, we have joy in our waiting because we have Jesus. That in, in the midst of our waiting, we can have joy because we have Jesus. And I want to show you him in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down is what we're about to walk through because you just might be walking through a dark night of the soul right now. 
And you're going to need these, but if you're, you're not, write them down anyway and keep them in your back pocket because one day you will be walking through some hard times. Life has a way of happening. So I'm going to show you four reasons to rejoice that Emmanuel has come and that Emmanuel is coming back. And I realize that maybe not all of us understands what Emmanuel means. So I want to start here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's read together Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And he says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph wasn't buying it, okay? And so being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Hey, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place, here it is right here, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name, help me out, they're going to call his name what? Which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to the son, and they called his name Jesus. So did you see that here in verse 23? Verse 23, Matthew quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 to be exact. This is what you're studying in your life groups this week. 700 years before this event happened, Isaiah had prophesied that a virgin would give birth to a son and his name would be God with us, Emmanuel. Did you catch that? God with us. Us, not God distant from us, not God detached from this weary world and all that we experience in it, but God Himself coming to this weary world to be with us right smack dab in the middle of it. I mean, this is astounding. The idea of the incarnation that we celebrate here at Christmas is the most extraordinary miracle that Jesus is God with us in the flesh, born as a baby, God in the flesh. John puts it like this, John the apostle, the disciple, he puts it like this in his, uh, his birth narrative, if you will. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, catch this, was God. And then John 1.14, he goes on to say, and the word became flesh, you catch that? And dwelt among us. God came to be with us. And what we celebrate at Christmas distinguishes us from all the other religions of the world. And it changes literally everything. And it ushers in the good news that I want to share with you this morning. So here we go, four reasons to rejoice. We'll hit these somewhat quickly. And when I say that at Apollo Beach, everybody knows that I'm lying, right? It's not fast. So here we go. Reasons to rejoice. Number one, write this down, that Emmanuel will bring salvation from sin. That's reason to rejoice, brothers and sisters, that Emmanuel, God with us, 
will bring salvation from sin. Now this comes straight out of Matthew 1, 21, where Matthew says that she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You, you see, this is the core problem in this weary world. This is the reason why you and I, we have quarrels and strife and death and conflicts and gloom and doom. The reason being is because all of us, everybody in this room watching online, watching at Apollo, we are all sinners. And it looks different in each of our lives, but all of us, we have turned aside from God and his good ways for our lives. And we have told God, hey, hey, we've got a better way. We're going to do it our own way. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from God. It takes us back to, uh, to the beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God when they sinned. And as a result of that, they were cast out of his perfect presence in the garden. And ever since that day, you and I, we have experienced and we continue to experience every day in this world the effects of our sin in our lives. Come on now. But the good news is, Y'all wanna hear some good news? But the good news of Emmanuel is that God has not left us alone in a weary world of sin that separates us from him. God has come to us to save us. That's why he came. That's what the name Jesus means. The name Jesus means Yahweh or the Lord saves. So here's the good news, loud and clear, that God has not left you or me alone in this weary world to try to find our way to Him, to try to fix ourselves, to try to save ourselves, to try to find hope or peace or purpose in life in this world on our own. No, God has come right to us. To me, one person's happy about that. You better be clapping, Apollo, to meet us. To meet you and me right where we are in our sinfulness. He's come to us in the person of Jesus who lived the sinless life that you and I were supposed to live. But we couldn't because of our sinful nature. And then he would go to the cross and die the death that you and I were condemned to die in our place. So that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins. And later he rose from the dead in victory over the grave so that anyone, anywhere in this room watching online at Apollo or in Brandon, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, if you will put your trust in Jesus, God with you, you will be saved from the penalty of sin, from the punishment of sin from the power of sin in your life, and you will be saved to have eternal relationship with Jesus forever and ever and ever, God with you. And that is only possible because Emmanuel, God with us, he's come to us. That's reason, brothers and sisters, to rejoice. Come on. So hence, do you see the line in the carol where he says, oh, come thou rod of Jesse, Free thine own from Satan's tyranny and from the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. It's 
why we sing that. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death, dark shadows. You better put those bad boys to flight because I got Jesus and he has come to save me. That's reason to rejoice. Let's keep rolling. Keep your Bibles open. Don't close them. We read the Bible around here at Bell Shoals. Amen. Chapter two. Have you ever wondered why the first story that Matthew tells in his birth narrative is the story of the wise men? And we don't get the shepherds. Uh, Luke gives us the shepherds, but Matthew comes in here and he focuses immediately on foreigners, literally foreigners coming from the east to worship Jesus. Look at, look at verse one of, of chapter two in your Bible. We'll have it on the screen as well too. It says, and now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, hey, hey, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, just some historical accuracy here. The wise men did not show up when Jesus was born in the barn. So I hate to blow up your nativity scenes, but if you've got wise men with the shepherds looking over Jesus in the stable, they are historically inaccurate. Go home and get those wise men, put them in the kitchen, keep them there, uh, bring them out around July, August, somewhere in there, uh, and then, you know, you might be okay. But the wise men were not there. So, so why then does Matthew have them here in this account? You see, Matthew's gospel portrays Jesus from beginning to end, and we're going to talk about this, and we'll tell you this in just a minute, as the universal Messiah for all nations, not just the Jews. Keep reading right here, verse 3, when, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Skip down to verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose before them uh, in the east, it came to rest over the place where the child was. And look at verse 10. If you underline in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline this one right here. I think it's so cool. It's just am it's amazing when you think about this. When they saw the star, these wise men, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down, fell down, 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 and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and they gave him gold, frankincense, or if you're like my younger boys, Frankenstein, and myrrh. Let me give you a reason number two. Write this one down to rejoice. That Emmanuel, and we see this right here, we unite the nations with joy. Think about this scene right here. Just kind of try to picture it. The first worshipers of Jesus were these Gentile, non-Jewish, wise men, astrologers, court magicians, prominent men from the nations who traveled miles. They followed a star, and then they bowed down to worship a baby. And they worship him with great joy. Like I have a daughter, Sophia, she's 18 months old. It would be like a caravan of people coming up to my house, finding my daughter, Sophia, and laying down and bowing down and worshiping an 18 month old. It doesn't make any sense. And, I, and think about how many worshipers were there? How many wise men were there? And we say three because they had three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't know. So just picture this entourage of prominent people 
worshiping a baby. And hear the language of Matthew that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew could have just said, hey, you know what? Hey, they were happy they found him. But they just weren't happy. They rejoiced. And they didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly with what? Great joy. I mean, joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. The nations are filled with joy as they behold the King, King Jesus, standing right here in front of them. And this scene right here, don't miss this because, brothers and sisters, this is so important. What Matthew is doing with this scene is giving us a picture of where all history is headed. That one day, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue, somebody better help me preach this up in here, gathered around the throne of God, the King, bowing before the Lamb and crying in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worship and honor and glory forever and ever be to him. Emmanuel will unite the nations with joy. And this is good news. This is reason to rejoice because think about the nations. Think about the world. Think about the people among the nations that fight and quarrel and slander and accuse and kill and destroy. There is a king who is coming who will bring joy to all the nations in his presence. Who else could do that? I mean, seriously, who else could bring together every people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship him? Just think about the nations, the Americans, Iranians, Saudis, North Koreans, South Koreans, Israeli, Palestinian, Chinese, Japanese, Afghans, Brazilians, Cubans, Germans, Sudanese, Ethiopian, Yemenis, keep going to six 15,000 distinct ethnic people groups on this planet. Who can bring them all together and unite them? Only one person can. His name is Emmanuel. <laughs> Come on. Get you some of that this morning. Only, only the God who created all of them who has come to be with them can do this. Only he can unite the nations with exceeding great everlasting joy. In the words of this carol is what we sing, O come desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Boy, you better bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease and fill the whole world with heaven's peace. It's Emmanuel. Only Emmanuel can do that. And that's the reason to rejoice. Number two, let's keep going. We got to roll. We got to roll. We got to roll. Look at what happens next in Matthew chapter two. Follow this story. Keep your Bibles open. Matthew chapter two, verse 13. When they had departed, talking about the wise men, I'm going to give you joy. A reason number three. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, man, you need to rise up and you need to take, take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. 
You might have a little note in your Bible that that is a quote from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It's a reference to when God delivered his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in the book of Exodus. And so now think about it because there are no accidental details in our Bible. There are no accidents when it comes to God's economy. So why in the world would God send Mary and Joseph and Jesus to Egypt? Out of all the places that he could have sent them, why did he send them to Egypt to flee King Herod? Why not somewhere else? Because after spending some time there and now coming back from Egypt to Nazareth, God was making a very clear point. Just like in Israel's history when God's people were enslaved, God saved them by bringing a miraculous deliverance from Egypt. Think splitting the Red Sea. Now, in the beginning of the New Testament, God is going to save his people by bringing a miraculous deliverer from Egypt. His name is Emmanuel, which kills me number three. Write this one down. The third reason to rejoice. Emmanuel will deliver our souls from slavery. I say souls here because Emmanuel will not just deliver us from a foreign nation like he did with the people of Israel. As important as that is, Emmanuel will deliver us from slavery to Satan himself. He will deliver us from slavery to sin, from slavery to death. He will deliver us. This is the language that we see all over the Bible that if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are free from Satan's tyranny, amen? To all who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are free from sin's power in your life. For all those who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are free from the sentence of death itself. That's why the scripture says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you and I, we are not enslaved anymore because Emmanuel has come to us to be our deliverer and to deliver us from the evil one. Praise God for that. That's why the carol says, y'all better be clapping in Apollo. The carol says, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, set her free, and we have that freedom in Jesus Christ. So come on, let's recap. I'm about to land the plane on number four right here. Emmanuel will bring salvation from sin. Emmanuel will unite the nations with joy. Emmanuel will deliver our souls from slavery. He will set us free, which leads to number four. If we keep reading in our story here, after Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, we read about what King Herod did in Bethlehem, which if you read this, it is absolutely horrifying. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And can you imagine that scene right there? Even in just our church family here, you know, Bethlehem was not that big of a town. 
And just picture all the children, two years old and under, snatched from their parents' arms and killed as moms and dads, brothers and sisters wept and cried in agony and hurt. And then Matthew goes on to write, verse 17, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That historical event, maybe you have a note in your Bible, Jeremiah 31, 15, that historical event in Jeremiah that was taking place was when the Babylonians came in and attacked and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed homes, men and women killed, families torn apart, and they took those who they captured to a place called Ramah, which was just north of Jerusalem. And there in Ramah, they put them in caravans, and they took them off into exile. So just imagine that scene right there. Either your child's killed or in a, in a caravan being taken off to Babylon, never to be seen again. And you can imagine the trauma, the, the weeping, the wailing, the crying, the mourning that's going on in that scene as families are literally ripped apart. That's the scene right there that Matthew was quoting from in Jeremiah 31, 15. But you know what's interesting? And that scene right there, if you go back and read in Jeremiah 31, don't flip over there now, do that later on, stay with me right now. But in Jeremiah 31, 15, it talks about weeping and mourning. But in the next two verses, in verses 16 and 17, God tells them to weep no more. Because hope is coming. He tells them in the midst of this destruction, in the midst of this death and mourning and crying, yeah, it looks bleak, but Israel, I have not forgotten you. You will be restored. God tells them that I will remember you. Hope is on the way. And Matthew quotes that in Jeremiah 31 as if to say, Bethlehem, I know it's bad right now. I know there's weeping and there's death and there's destruction, but hang on because hope is on the way. Even in your pain, there is still hope. Why? Because Emmanuel has come. Which leads to reason number four. Write this one down, last one. That Emmanuel will heal our deepest hurts. either in this life or in the one to come. You see, that's the challenge, right? That at this point in Matthew chapter two, Emmanuel has come, Jesus has been born, but they're weeping and they're mourning in the middle of his coming. And you fast forward to today, guess what? We're still weeping, we're still mourning in a really weary world. We still experience the pain of, of hurt, the pain of death, the pain of separation. There's viruses and violence and conflict and tension. I could go on and on and on, and you could too. So do we really have a reason to rejoice? Listen to me, this is where we are. Lean in on this. This is huge right here, brothers and sisters. I want you to get this. You see, the reason to rejoice doesn't come from just looking back that Emmanuel has come, but it also comes from looking forward to when Emmanuel will come back. So track with me here, listen to me. We can rejoice, why? Because God has indeed come to us. 
what God's people in Israel longed for over centuries of waiting. You and I, we now know and we now celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. He's come. He lived among us. He died for us. He rose from the grave. He made a way for all of us who trust in him to be saved, to have our sins forgiven. He's made a way for us to have joy, joy that supersedes our circumstances, that we can have the joy of the Lord as our strength, a joy that even transcends suffering, a joy that those wise men have, rejoicing exceedingly with joy. And we can, we can rejoice because Jesus has come to deliver us from Satan, to deliver us from evil, death, and the grave. So yes, absolutely, we look back to see that Emmanuel has come to save us, to deliver us, to heal us. But at the same time, we don't just look back. We look forward and we understand that Emmanuel didn't just come once, Emmanuel, God with us, he is coming back again. Woo, baby, you better get loud. And he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming back, thank you very much, riding on the clouds. One day the trumpet of heaven is going to sound and the skies are going to split. And Emmanuel Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things new, baby. Woo! Get a little Pentecostal up in here. Don't get scared. They're used to it at Apollo. And so listen, you and I, we can rejoice no matter what we are walking through in a weary world, because you know when he comes back on that day, sin will be no more, slavery will be no more, suffering will be no more, pain will be no more, death will be no more, the former things have passed away and he's going to make all things new. Emmanuel, God with us. The very hands that were pierced for your sins will wipe away gently every tear from your eyes. And he will be with us and we will be with him forever. As the carol says, O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home, that this is not our home. We're just passing through here, y'all. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. There's a reason to rejoice that Emmanuel has come and brothers and sisters, Emmanuel is coming back. And so based on the authority of God's word, when you put your hope in him, you will never, never, never be let down. 10 trillion years from now, and you will still not be let down when your hope is in Emmanuel, God with us.